Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. It's Thursday. It is Thursday. And Thursday is show day. It's show day. I want to welcome everybody on Blog Talk Radio, my firstborn, you know, first Blog Talk, my really first media born. And we are, it's, what, we're over five years old now. It's past kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> Growing up and getting used to God. I'm excited about today. First of all, Prophet Ashley, what are we doing this weekend? This weekend we will be in the, uh, Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines, I know. <laughs> Des Moines, Iowa. Now, I've never been in Iowa, and I have to admit, being one of those foolish uh, black folk who think that they don't have any African Americans in Iowa. So I just want you to know they have some, a bunch, and we won't be alone. We won't be breaking ground in that area. But we will be breaking ground in women and power. So I'm, I'm going in with, uh, Prophet Ashley's going to give you all of the details because you know I have to put her to work. Otherwise, she feels like I don't need her. And I don't ever want her to be confused about that. No. So I, you should keep her rather busy. Yes, you do. I work at it hard to keep her rather busy. <laughs> And so as a result, she's going to tell us about the uh, church we're going to be at and what we're going to do. But I want to invite you who are in the area, who are in driving range, for you to come out and join me. We, it starts, well, actually, just, just do it. Do what you do. All right, church tomorrow night, October 26th at 7 p.m. You can go to, let's see here, I want to make sure we get this right. Um, you can contact, well, has really proven herself to be the proverbial chip off the old block for real. And, uh, and I love working with her. I, I, I think it's just such a powerful thing when you can get the mother-daughter, father-son team because that's what people need today with the family unit being so fractured and to see that God uses young people and that not everybody who is young and who grows up a PK is trying to lead the ministry. Right. See, that, that, that mystique, that, that deception, has to be destroyed. There are literally hundreds, millions of children who grew up and appreciated the ministry as the family business. You know, it's the family business. Our business is ministry. Our ministry is Jesus Christ. And my daughter from age four was seized by the Holy Ghost. So she almost never had a fighting chance. But we, 
you know, men again, the Lord Jesus, we kind of let her think she did, but she didn't. But I am so excited about her, and I'm excited about all of my daughters and sons in the Lord. You know, to see God just bring his people on board is amazing. So we're going to be there. Uh, I, I finish also on Sunday morning. Sunday morning at 11 a.m. church service. Yes, and you're going to love every minute. So bring your friends, bring your, uh, you know, your teams, yes. bring your groups, and come. Bring your ladies, because you know what? I have a phenomenal anointing yes. for ladies. And as you can see by my daughters, I can empower you, yes. because that's the mantle. That's part of the mantleship on my life as the Lord Jesus' chief apostle. I don't think it was a mistake, Ashley, that he decided to make me female. You know, I always said that. I think that was a smart move on his part. Real well, smart. he never had a problem with genders. No, well, because he created them. Them <laughs> I know. You know, when you hear all of the biases, you almost think that Jesus turned his back and we popped out. It's like, how did you get here? Okay. And then we popped out and he was like, oops, I didn't explain, expect that. So, therefore, I don't have a purpose for you. But I, I'd be glad that, that mortals are not the sovereign. Because I'll tell you what, we are quick to throw away stuff that we don't agree with and quick to throw away things that we don't that we have a problem with. But I'm going to talk to you this weekend. We're going to talk about the powerful ladies, not only of wisdom, of, of um, scripture, but also in the world. And we're going to talk about how to reset your soul to become a powerful woman. Now, Chief Prophet Tala, my daughter, has a, has a network called the Winning Women's Network. You'll get an opportunity to also hear a little bit about that and sign up for it. So we've got you covered, my sisters. And one of the things that we don't do is we don't act like Eve. Amen. So I'm going to show you how to cast off the Eve that keeps you enslaved and to take on the elect lady who gives you the world. You, can, you have to admit, this is a great time to show up. And do you know why it's a great time? Because women, my sisters, we've come into our day. We are in the day of the woman. That means your ministry has got a different opportunity, your prayer, your businesses and enterprises. You do want to show up for this. Again, it starts Friday night with Prophet Angela Yamiba, one of our ordained prophets with New Era Apostleship Restitution. And then we move into Saturday with uh, Chief Prophet Tyler Price over the near Global Prophetic Company. And then we move into uh, myself teaching you on, well, you know me. I'm just going to say that. You should press your way. And do me a favor. I want to encourage every one of you who have young daughters, either as your your, your see, uh, as your mentees, your advisees, uh, bring the young women. Because we uh, in church, we wait too late to get our people ready. We always wait too late. And so I need you to bring your daughters, not just your adult daughters, but your young daughters, because they are exposed to things now that we never dreamed we were able to play with our dogs. They get to play with a device that tells them how to do porn, tells them how to lose their soul and sell themselves. So bring your daughters. If you're in driving range, do it. If you can fly in, it's worth it. I promise you, my sisters and family in the Lord, you will walk away changed and empowered, and you will be glad that you came. 
I want to thank Apostle Stephanie for inviting us in this week. I have a team driving down. My team is driving down because I'm like, oh, no, we all need this. This is, this is good. So my team is driving down. And then we have a couple of other people who say they're driving in from other areas. So if you're in the tri-state or the quad-state area and you find this like, you know, a few hours, hey, it's worth it. I promise you by the Holy Ghost, when you step on the ground, the electrified energy of God is going to touch the bottom of your feet, and it's only up from there. So it's exciting. I had to say that, Prophet Asher. Yes, it is major exciting. And then we have, what do we have coming up? Our near summit. Yes. Your Apostleship Summit. Okay, first of all, let's go back to the other one. Um, where is this happening? This Women's Event is in Des Moines, Iowa. Yes. You can go to Dr. Price's Facebook or her website to get the details. We will direct you to the registration site. But November. 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 This is around the corner. Around the corner. It's in like 10 days. How up until uh, the summit? Tulsa, Oklahoma, where we have probably the most ambassadorial event we've ever had. It's our 15th had. year, isn't it? What is it, 15th? I think so. Or 16th year? Okay, so the next time I ask you, you're going to roll that off the top of your head, okay? Well, I knew the right answer. I know, last, last week, week, but this is this week. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's like I always remember people's birthday a week early or a week late. That's just what well, I do. No, wait, the first time it was in 2001? 2000. 2000? Oh, then it's 18. Yeah. Okay, so now I'm with the, are we going to be able to have that, like, in the future, both of us? Okay, because, you know, I have to work with that. I want you to know I absolutely love this woman. I love my daughters. We began 2000. Is that when you started? We met 2000, and you've been working for me how long? Well, ministerially since 2000. Mm-hmm. Administratively, 2003. Okay. So that's 15 years. You realize that when I got my, my team, Prophet Ashley, and uh, obviously, you know, Chief Prophet Tyler kind of came with the package, and then Prophet Adir, they were in college, Oral Roberts University. Yes. That's how I got them. They were interns, and they are interns who became stakeholders, who became management, who are now real stakeholders because they are part of not just the staff, you know, when you serve long enough, you become part of the inheritance. And so I thank God for them. You know, people, and I'm so proud of them because people picked at them. They talked about them and told them, you know, you're, you're grunt, you're this, you're that. And this year, hallelujah, Prophet Ashley, AIT, is being commissioned apostle. And so there'll be people who will say, wow, you know, because you think she's, uh, no, she's been with me since 2000. She was in college then, and she is now, it's okay for me to say, pushing 40. You know, 40 is the number of rulership and dominion. If you're going to rule anything, you pretty much are going to be in position by 40. Now, that means that, 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 that that's a divine protocol, that's a creation protocol. And so, you know, the world pushes people quickly. The only other one who had a different was Jesus Christ, and that's because he came as the rabbi, but he also had three and a half years, so he didn't get a whole lot of time there. Hallelujah. He had a lot to do in three and a half years. But I thank God for these, these women and all of you all out there who've been with me all this time. Yeah, I do gush. You know, mama's gush. So I just want to tell you right now, so you don't have to write about she's mushy. Yeah, mama's gush. Now, I'm not mushy. I'm a little gushy, but I'm not mushy. 
And I thank God for every one of you. I want to be able to touch all of your lives like that. I want to help all of you come into purpose, fulfill your visions and your dreams, make happen. I want to push back on the darkness that's always encroaching on you. I want to tear down that, those pillars of sabotage that are in your soul. I want to break every yoke of bondage upon you so that you get free. And I don't care, male, female, it doesn't matter what your age group is or whatever. God has granted me to have success with it all, as you know, because that's why we're talking today. But I just thank God for her, and I thank God for my, my young women that have stood because they said that it couldn't be done. They said it could not be done, and here's God doing it. Because, you know, don't give God a bail. See, he doesn't like to be there. Don't give God a bail because that just gets him going. He gets motivated, you know, for death. So anyway, so now I'll let you talk. Well, what do you want me to do? You were answering your question. What is Wait, what was I answering? Whatever career you have, 
family has to work around that. Family. It has to work around, and they do. I love the family first when we look at all of the emergency services people who, well, that can't work because the community is the family, and they've got to go take care of that. But that's a whole other point. I just like to mess with that a little bit. Hmm. Hope you got your coffee, man. I tell you, we hit that coffee today, boy. That's really good. And so we, um, and then we have Thursday evening. Thursday evening is our commissioning ceremony. Yes. You don't want to. First of all, the numbers are piling up. I think we have to get another room, another couple of rooms. We have to get a second overflow facility because we were piling yeah. up. So if you're coming, don't be late because you're going to be in the overflow, which is, you know, still good, but not optimal. But we have, because um, uh, uh, I'm commissioning six apostles, I'm excited because these are my first near apostles. That means they've come through, gone through my entire program. They've gone through the processes. They've had assessments. They've had praxis. They've, had, they've done their portfolio. They have done their, their training. We finished Right now, we're finishing up on the last two briefings for them. And I'm thrilled because we are getting apostles for scripturally organic, cultural modified Christianity. Isn't that great? And our beavers along with our heart, heart set, reset, which, of course, you'll have to be there. And so you'll get an opportunity to see how we commission apostles, and we don't outfit them as bishops. So you're going to appreciate you want to You want to be here. You want to make fresh your way. We do not outfit them as bishops, and we don't commission them in street clothes because people who have a job and a career are always in their uniform. So you go to McDonald's, you are not going to see people running around in the street clothes. When you go, that's, and that's a burger place. That's burger. You go around there, the church is always trying to get you to dress like the world because in their minds, you're not doing anything different. You're not doing anything worthwhile or essential. So we have a whole vesting portion where we vest them as apostles. You want to see this. And, oh, by the way, it will not be streamed. So you will need to press your way because it will not be streamed. Anything else you'd like to say about it? Thursday, we're at Friday. 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 Are the new near apostles, three of them, will also be speaking on why they were commissioned. Exactly. What they're commissioned. Uh, your training has taught us, if it has taught us nothing else, it has certainly taught us that this office is for Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And that we are stepping into a continuum of sponsorship. Not to become a no, but we don't have, we don't, God doesn't need you to design the office for him. He doesn't need you to, to uh, furnish it for him. He just needs you to step in. That's like getting a job and going in your job and saying, you know what, I'm, a, I'm going to gut this office. Unless you're going to be the person who's the founder and, uh, or the CEO or something, they pretty much don't want you to gut their office. They pretty much don't want you to do it. They'll let you bring a few. You can bring a little plant. Maybe you can bring a plant. You might be able to bring, you know, your family pick. But they tell you how to put, place those, you know tell you the size and everything, because the office is always existing. And so it precedes your commission. And we don't teach you that, but you're going to learn that this week. The office precedes your commission. The kingdom precedes your, its population. You understand that kingdoms come from kings, and when kings re reproduce after their own kind, they then have a population that becomes their subject. But it, 
All of that is what you're going to learn. I'd just like to give you this little hint. Are they flowing with me on board? Yes, ma'am. So you want to press your way. We still have some registration room, wiggle room. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're, we will make fit. Okay, we're going to make fit. For sure, at the hotel. Yes. Yeah. We already have an overflow facility for our church. Uh, the well, it's six apostles who are bringing their friends, their, their churches, and their family, and their friends as witnesses. The whole purpose of a public commissioning is for witness. So we can, the, the people will witness that God is adding to his staff and what level he's adding to. When we, when I do a commissioning, uh, you know, I try to, I told my people we have a program because, you know, commissioning is one of two things, and that is with or without portfolio. Now, if you are being commissioned without portfolio, you'll walk away with the title. And you'll just go on doing what you do. Because, you, well, you're not equipped to do anything more. Somebody recognized you as, a, as an apostolic or as an apostle, and then you, you went out, they, they used their authority to uh, put a little oil on you and uh, pray some prayers, give you a few prophecies, and send you out to do whatever it is. In other words, you get the, I, I call that the Saul Commission. You know, that's, I told you, that's a vanity commission. So you are, you're not put in the office because you don't have any, anything defining what, what office, where, nothing. All you have is somebody saying, we saw it. And I recognize it. And most people, most apostles were commissioned that way, without portfolio, which means there is no job description, there's no purpose, and there's no focus. So they get to do what they've been doing, and we can't, they can't explain what makes uh, them different after that particular ceremony. So that's one, just so you know. So there are a lot of vanity commission. That's why you all are frustrated. But all of the time that we've had apostles out there and all of the things that we've done at the Stargate, you would think you all would be well-versed in it and you'd understand it and you'd be benefited by it. But you're not because they were commissioned um, what we call by title only. We gave them the title. You can't, imp- you know, you can't really impart uh, an office. You can impart anointing, but you can't impart an office, because offices belong to institutions. And unless they're commissioning you in their organization to help them carry out their vision, you're getting a title office, which is a vanity commission. You know, somebody has to say it. Here's I've learned in my life. Um, I've learned something in my life, and that is until somebody diagnoses and defines the problem, there can be no solution. You can't repair what you can't diagnose. You can't repair what you can't differentiate. If you don't know how that thing should work optimally, then how are you going to repair it when it's off? Which is why education and training are so important. Now, can we say God uses those? Absolutely, he has. You know, But understand, God rolls with what's available to him. But if God is rolling with less than optimum, you better know optimum is in the work behind the scenes. And God has always educated his officers, always. Moses was skilled in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, and then he and God had those Midian trainings. So God always educates. He doesn't elevate without education unless they're temporary, unless they're placeholders. That's how he does it. Now, you know, you can hear people argue all day long, but I'm just telling you that's Bible, you know, the the Lord always personally educate high officers. 
That is why the, the, the whole thing that them saying about the apostles that they could tell that they had been with Jesus was because Jesus' education was assimilated by them, and then it was operated through them. So, you know, we have, um, you know, the whole last movement, you don't need anybody to teach you and whatnot. You don't need anybody to teach you to sing, but you do need somebody to teach you to sing well and correctly. Because everything has rules, protocols, patterns, etc. I think that's pretty important. I really think that's very important. So you understand that. Then there is minister with portfolio. That means that you have gone through training, you have been tried and proven, and you, there is documentation to say that you are equipped and ready to discharge that office to which you are being commissioned. And there's hard data. There's not just, well, these are verbal witnesses and eyewitness testimonies. You know, if God relied on eyewitness testimony alone, he would have no Bible because he instructed people to write things down for the generations to come. So now when you go out, first of all, your first day after your commission is not what do I do and what just happened to me. It is get to work. Let me, let me open my book, and you all will see it when you come to the event. Let me open my portfolio and start working my plan. That's required. And so now they know where they're going, why they got Commission, what is to be expected of it, and on and on and on. Did you want to share a little bit about your portfolio experience? Yes. Uh, so, like you said, the, the goal is to be able to run this vision, mm -hmm. to know why you're doing what people are going to get out of it, the people group you're going to be. So, pulling together our portfolio and even the documentation leading us to our final module makes us sit down and think. From a variety of angles, approaches, outcomes, thought processes, what the Lord was thinking, why, mm -hmm. yeah. and how we are supposed to think as well. So that portfolio blends together your biography of who you are, mm -hmm. how you were called as an apostle, your um, people group, mm -hmm. and other things like that. Wow. And it's very thorough. Mm -hmm. Very thorough. And it's the one thing people said was impossible. Yeah. But whenever <laughs> we study your writings and your connection of this is what this scripture meant, and this is what God was saying, and this was always this, and that mm -hmm. was always that, you can see the picture of apostleship is very obvious. Yeah, once you know what to look for. Right. That's a good word. And it is obvious because the entire New Testament is about apostles and apostleship. I know we thought we we you, we've been taught it's about the church, but it's it's about the apostles and apostleship that are sent to steward everything regarding the church. They are Jesus Christ's direct representative. So when we commission, there will be no I don't know what to say and I don't know what just happened and boy wasn't this wonderful and boy I love that song they sang and ooh my no one knew and my burner burned and my anointing stirred and there was and things were bubbling over inside of me and I was percolating all over the place and marinating somewhere else. You know, all of those abstract nothings, they make for good conversation, but useless execution. And that is where God is. Jesus came. I mean, if you didn't know what apostles were supposed to do, I think you just look at Jesus. There you go. You can just look at him. But then you look at the 12 he chose and then what he commissioned them to do in his name before he went to the cross and then when he rose from the dead and appear to them again in their 40-day training. 
but we have made the um, we've made the last two officers as if they're subordinate pastors, and they're not. They are the ones that define it all and exp- express it all. So you'll have an opportunity when you come. If you're an apostle, especially if you're a young apostle, um, and you 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 want to come and see this thing in action and really know what God is summoning you to do, because being summoned is not the same as being commissioned. You'll also get an opportunity to see the class handoff. You know, the, this particular uh, commissioning class is inaugural for us. It's our very first. There would, there's none like them in the world. And I told them, there's none like them in the world. But we need a lot more. And we desire a lot more. This is not an elitist exclusive club. It is elitist, but it's not exclusive. And, and so if you want soldiers and high officers, you want elite. You don't, you don't want adequate. You want elite. You don't want just sufficient. You want elite. And so that, that's what I'm called for. And I've always said that. If you listen to all of my previous broadcasts, I've always said I don't apologize for being called a giant. I'm called to because I'm here to deal with the problem at the root. And the root is at the top, not the feet. So we want to make sure that you do it. So I, I, I encourage you uh, to come. I know that some of you will say, you know what, but that's just, I mean, I just think she's prideful. I just, whatever you think, you don't think your boss is prideful, you're proud of them. You're proud of strength everywhere but in Jesus Christ. You need to question what you think about God. Because clearly, what you think about God is very substandard and subservient to what you think about the winners of the world and their officials and their high powers. So, you know, this is strength. I'm bringing strength back to the kingdom because, you know, strong is not wrong. And for the last several decades, we've been taught that strong is wrong and weak is meek and that anybody who is confident is cocky. See, you understand? Strong, wrong, meek, weak, confidence, cocky. Don't you see something wrong with that? And then you want us to know how we can take the kingdom. Well, how can we take the Are you kidding me? Uh-uh, I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, kind of like David. I will be humble before my God, but, but before his adversaries, I'm standing strong. And that's what these apostles have learned to do. So you'll get a chance to look at some of their portfolios uh, when you attend and, and see how it is and maybe decide if this is something that you want. You Nobody... First of all, no one comes to my program without doing the whole program, which is the portfolio. And they're going to tell you, that's what I like about Saturday. You'll get to hear from the newly commissioned apostles, and they're going to tell you why they stuck with the program, why they thought this was the better way for them, and how they have grown and benefited from them, they and their organizations. Because, see, these are not three folks here in Tulsa. We have New York, Illinois, and Louisiana, New York, Illinois, Portland, and Louisiana. So, and, and I, I prophesy, I decree and declare because of the authority vested in me by the Lord Jesus Christ that this will become the standard for apostleship going forward because God has things in this process that he's been waiting for and needing for a long time. He has things in this process. This is important. So I'm spending a little time discussing it, but he has things in this process. For example, he has assessments, so he can now, and they're measurable, you know? They're, they're, they're not just, um, uh, um, what do you call it, emotional. They're not just effective. They're cognitive, and they're measurable. Apostles are brilliant people. 
That's one of the reasons why they have the, the calling and the attributes for it, because they are innately brilliant. I don't care if they're educated or not. You're going to find that there's a, a brilliance to that mantle because they're cerebral people, because their job is to face off with the headship of the planet. So that he has that. God has curriculum, a, a, a program that is specific to apostleship that goes all the way up to the specialist, making them the expert in all things Jesus Christ. That's important. He has criteria. He has standards, etiquette, and protocols, all of those things that we need to work well with those who have gone before us, but also to pave the way and give Jesus the advantage he needs to recover all that he wants to recover. And they're also sovereign as well as savior-minded. And we, we have textbooks that are, that these are not just, you know, little, little pamphlets for 30, 60 pages. These are literal textbooks so that you walk away knowing who you are, what you are, and why God made you an apostle. Not just because somebody looked at you and you did a couple of little exploits that they just want to classify as apostle or apostolic. And we talk about the difference between apostolic and apostleship and apostle. We need to know that because all of that figures into your, the construction and the apothecary as well as the design of your commission. And God, we have this. This is not something that we're whipping up. You've heard them talk about their textbooks. You've heard them talk about their manuals. You've heard them talk about their training, their practice, etc. So that when they walk out the next morning, I always have a goal. And my goal is this. The morning after the ceremony will tell you what kind of commission you have. The morning after the ceremony. After the singing is done and we've had dinner and we've had fellowship and, and collation, the morning after, what you are able to do with all of that fair fan and fair fanfare rather and pageantry, the morning after will tell you what kind of apostle you are. And if you have nothing to do and you don't know what to do, you may well be an apostle without portfolio, which means you are without a commission, a, a, an active commission. Your title, but you have no, no, you know, and they call them in, the, in, in research influential apostles. So you have influence. But just because you have influence doesn't mean you have officiality. And, this, and it's the office that drives because that's the way God set it up. We set people in office so that the institution can secure their involvement in creations of failures. See, listen to my language. Listen to statements that I am making. Just listen. Don't just listen to your heart. You know, I've had people say, well, I just feel it in my heart. You know what? We can't work in your heart. The office cannot be in your heart. And even if it is, it still needs to have a, a, a counterpart of your heart. You can't just be an apostle in your heart. You have to be an apostle in the kingdom. The king needs apostleship, not just your sentiment. So you, you can have all of that. Well, I don't care because somebody told me. I don't care what anybody told you. I'm telling you that if, if God had apostles in the planet like those 12, we wouldn't be where we are today. Because I'm going to tell you, those 12 changed the world. They, were, they, they literally changed the world, and they did not have a backdrop or history like we have. Those 12 changed the world, and God continued to replicate them until he got a sovereign or a monarch to buy into them. All of that's done. But for all of our talk, we're scrapping to save our nation. 
and should have never come to them. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for pulling down strongholds. There are revelations and there is information that we have innately. We have a section in, in, our, in their training, which they're wrapping up, called the uh, Scriptures Offering Mantles. Because we've been taught the Bible uh, pastorally. We've been taught it evangelically. We've been taught it didactically. We, we have not been really taught it prophetically, which is what it starts out with. The, the Old Testament is all about prophets. Jesus tells you that in Luke 24, 44. And we've not been taught it apostolically. We don't know Jesus as an apostle. We don't know Jesus as a prophet, but yet those are his first two human roles when he came, when he incarnated, not pastor. His first two human roles were prophet. He was Moses' great prophet to come, which really made him an apostolic prophet because Moses was considered a type of Shalyak, which is, or Salia, which is an apostle, and prophet, the author, the voice, the words of the prophets. That's why he can come and rebuke them because he's like, I didn't write that. That's not what I transmitted. I didn't, I didn't say that. So you've been taught the prophet from the consequence of the, you've been taught the, the scriptures from the consequence of the apostles and prophets. They're fruit, but you don't know the root. And it's the absence of knowing the root that's taking us out. Are they flowing with me? Are you all flowing with me? Because you need to know we are coming, and we're not coming like bishops. We're not coming like evangelists. We're not coming like pastors and teachers. We're coming as the prototype and the archetype of everything God wants. And you know when you're dealing with the prototype and you're dealing with the archetype, that's very different. We're the chief type and the first type. It's important that we do this. So I strongly encourage you, urge you, if you don't mind me saying so, to join us this year, because it will be the turnaround. It's the turnkey. I know for a fact it's the turnkey, because it's, a, it's one thing to write a book. It's another thing to write a curriculum. It's, it, it's impressive to do an assessment, and it certainly is, you know, obviously marvelous for us to have a school, but when it all becomes peopleized, not just humanized. See, you've been humanized. But see, the work of Jesus Christ has to be peopleized, and it's the apostles that went to the people, and they, Jesus put that thing in people, and people replicated heaven on earth. I just think that's powerful. I, I really do. I really do. What do you feel like a AI? T- I love that. We don't even know what we're going to call you. I mean, how are we going to drop that? No, when I'm around creative people. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Last night I was actually studying that piece of you wrote exactly what you just said about Jesus being the prophecy that he ultimately embodied and fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I went through my book across the room when I read that. I thought, <laughs> this whole plan is so clever, mm-hmm. and we have brought it down to an emotional experience. I can see why Satan pushed for that. Mm-hmm. Because when you have Christians who buy into the living God as he is, oh my God. I can see why we really should be a force to be reckoned with. And it's not about love, and it's not about disagreement, and it's not about condemnation. It is about who this man really is and what his agenda is truly all about. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy, I thought, we have our work cut out for us, but knowing what we're learning, I walked away saying, oh, this is completely doable. Now I can say, this is completely doable. Wow. We need the right amount of people, the right amount of education, and 
put it in the strategic study this way. When you think about even 50 years ago, homosexuals, and, and 75 years ago, underground, in the closet, mm-hmm. in a hole, in whatever. And they started a strategic plan. They do. To see to it that we would be here today having Christians fight for this. Mm-hmm. So nothing is beyond the right strategy. And do you not hear the apostle in that voice? Do you not hear the apostle in that um, explanation? Do you not hear the training in that comment? See, you, that comment is not coming from something I read on the plane. It comes from assimilation, and we require that. Conversion and assimilation is a big deal. Well, I really almost to say every single answer has to, okay, so you read this section, and then you have the exercise. How does this fit into your clinician? How does this fit into your mm-hmm. clinical doctor? Yeah. Where, where, how, would you, how would you communicate this to the public? Yeah. And it has to be biblical, and it has to be apostolic. So a lot of people have said, I trained apostles, but you trained them to be evangelical Christians and evangelical apostles, so that all of the other things that you want to fit, the people don't have a consciousness of. So this is a hands-on training. It's very intense. We are working on a resident version to accelerate. And if you think you'd be interested in something like that, encourage me. Just go to my website, drpaulaprice.com, and say, I'm interested in learning more about the residence program, or I want to do the distance AIT program. But when it's all over, you'll be close with those that you've gone to in class with. They have developed such a camaraderie. I'm thrilled. I mean, they're like one, and it is so powerful to see them. And I'm excited. I'm excited for 32 years of work, effort, blood, sweat, and tears. And I get six apostles that never hit the planet before. Never. There's none like them because nobody had their education. And then behind them, we have, what, six more, six or seven more that are coming. Those are the new inductees. You might want to be one of those. But I, I thought I'd take time to let you know why this particular summit, of all those that we've had over the last 18 years, can you believe 18 years to wait? But God says that he has patience to wait for the precious fruits of the earth. And if you don't maintain the patience to wait and to you, it's like I want it now and I deserve it now. And, I mean, my, my, my window might close. My day may not come. No, education is always for the future. Preparation is always for the solution of the future, because that's just how God does it. So I would encourage you all, and I'd love to hear your feedback from what I've just said today, some of the things that I've said. Um, you know, when people tell me, but I don't care, I know what an apostle is, I wrote an a, a, a apostle diagnostic questionnaire. I wrote an assessment. I wrote, well, you know, I've got a dictionary in the making, the Action Apostles Encyclopedia in the making. I wrote the curriculum. I do have all of the resources and all of the support system, the pillars, the ground, and the roof. So you can tell, you can say that all day long. God will tell me, uh, no, 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 that's his imagination. But God, they really said so-and-so, I don't care. Because Apostle Paul said, I'm an apostle from my mother's womb, and they all had a the particular thing. You know, you look at the 12, they were not just out there running around, and they were not trying to be good Jews, but they were powerful thinkers. They were powerful leaders. 
They were in their fields doing their jobs. But it wasn't until Jesus uncapped that apostle in them by virtue of his mantle that they knew that they were world leaders and world changers. Because changing the world from the pew will help humanity. Changing the world from the head, obviously, releases God's sovereignty. And apostles are always about God's sovereignty. They're always not about his kingdom, his kingship. So you all needed to know that. Didn't you need to know that? You needed to know that. And so as we come, as we come up, we're coming up on things. One of the things that I want to say, and so one of the things that I want to show you is that God has an offer. 2019, God's tendering a lot of offers. And he woke me up this morning. Now, he woke me up this morning and began to talk to me about his offers. Well, we know that too. And so he woke me up. And I, so I just put this up here because he just said, I want to chat with them about this. So um, let's see. I'm almost good. Is it reading it or do I have to? Yes. Mm-hmm. Do I hit this little F7? Yeah, I'm working it out, guys. I'm trying to tell Ashley that I don't need her, and as you can see, that's falling short. Okay, now let's try it again. Because it might, I might have gone too fast. Yeah, I went too fast. So, just if you can read the screen, maybe she could turn this light a little bit so it's a little less glare. Uh huh. We can see. Okay, if you can read the screen, here's the question, and this is how I'll wrap up our discussion, but also introduce the other. Can you recognize and rightly respond to God's intervening offer? And then at the bottom it says 18 times in the New Testament the phrase, follow me, appears. When Jesus was getting ready to leave the planet. He knew time was winding down and that he needed to get on the cross and get to hell because that's where his assignment was. You know, a lot of saints don't know that. A lot of you don't know that. That's why you keep telling people they're not going to hell. All right? So a lot of saints don't know that. So, but he was ready to go to hell. It was time for him to go to hell. And as a result, he was wanted to expand his team and set up the replacement and the expansion that he was going to do. Now, I have talked over and over again many, many times about false doors. The minute it's time for you to get into the door of destiny, hallelujah, the door of diversion and distraction open. So you're always, those are the three doors, diversion, distraction, destiny. So when it's time for you to go into door number three, door number one opens and it looks so good. Door number two follows it. Oh, my goodness, the stuff that's in there. So I've talked about false doors, and I'll probably talk about it a lot over the years. What I want you to hear is that destiny is never going to be the prettiest door. God's not going to do anything in the door of destiny but hang a sign called follow me, obey me, and forsake all. 
None of that's fitted. So those are the curtains on the door of destiny. Destiny always feels that way. Follow me, obey me, and then forsake all. People want the glitter because we're programmed for the glitter. We're programmed for, you know, the glamour, the glitz, and we're also programmed for the immediate. Well, why do I want to forsake all when I can have more? Why do I want to, to make myself a living sacrifice when I can have prestige? And so destiny will always present itself as the least attractive option. And it does it because it doesn't want to fail. So destiny is shrewd enough to tell you all of the difficulties that you're going to go through to get to its destination. Fill the reason you're on the planet. Meanwhile, diversion and distraction are going to let you know, you know, hey, quick payoff. It doesn't take all of that. You're going to want, we can give you a seminar. You don't need a degree. Just go to a seminar. We can give you workshops. We, hey, as a matter of fact, if you don't even want to be around people, you can actually just read a book. You don't have to do all of that. You, it doesn't take all of that. Be yourself. Bring yourself, your raw, undeveloped, unrefined, uncultivated self to the process. And, and listen, we're going to glitter you up so much, no one will even know. First of all, that's a lie. There is nothing in life that you are going to rise to the top on without extensive training and extensive trying and proving and extensive education and development. It just doesn't happen. I don't care. You, those rappers, you listen to their story. Not all of them were picked up off the side of the road. Their stories are amazing. And all your celebrities that you're chasing, they make it look easy because they've been doing it so long and they've given their whole life for it. You think they're hanging out and partying like you dancing to their music. That's not what they're doing. They're making more music for you to dance to. So you see, your misconception is that you are following a lead that isn't true. But anyway, you'll buy it. You'll buy it because in your soul, you feel like life's been hard enough. I don't have to go any harder. I can just, hey, go the quick and fast way and the down and dirty way, and I'm free. And so I really want you to think differently about this because in 2019, God's going to give you office. Some of you all can probably write a testimony to me right now that says, Dr. Price, that happened to me. God gave me an offer. It looked like it was too much work. I felt like I had invested too much in, in his house and in his people, and, and I was sick of the preachers and all of the church thing, and I didn't do it. And that offer lasts only six months or six years, and now I can't get God to talk to me about my purpose or my destiny. Because God was like, well, six months, six years ago, I was telling you. You need to know when God tenders an offer, is it an ark? Is he staging you for an ark of safety because he knows that a judgment is coming on land, that the whole, this, where you are or what you're in is about to collapse? Is it an ark? Is it a privilege? Is he, is he wanting to elevate you to the point that you will have higher privileges in him and thus higher prosperity? Is it, in fact, a preservation? Is he about trying to move you out of, of, of a climate or an atmosphere into something that will preserve your soul? Hallelujah. Because you need to know. You have to figure out what God is talking about. Or is it insulation? Is he bringing you under the shadow of his wings because he's getting ready to break out and do other things? Or is it the highest opportunity or the next level opportunity for you since you fulfilled one point? Can he use you now for something else? 
See, God tenders offers for more than the egotistical reasons that most people reject them. People reject God's offers for each egotistical reason. Well, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that, but that's beneath me, and that's too small for me, and all and on. I'm going to go with so-and-so's ministry. So-and-so won't be so far down the totem pole, they don't even know if your name is in the dust on the floor. But you're going to so-and-so's. My staff is messing with me. Pray for my studio audience. <laughs> but you don't know if, if that, you, I'm going over there, but I'm following so-and-so because they happen to glance at you, and it looks like they, they really saw your this or that. You cannot Make your destiny responses based on human reactions to you. Because humans, we fluctuate. Our mood fluctuates. Our whatever fluctuates. So you cannot make your responses to destiny based on that. You've got to hear me. Because many of you all missed window. And some destinies, some offers from the Holy Ghost are time sensitive and they're once in a lifetime. I had had opportunities to do a lot of things as I was coming up the ranks, and I knew that they were diversion tactics. I knew they were to get me to drop off what I'm doing, leave off what I'm doing, kind of like Nehemiah, to get off, leave off what he's doing so that what God really needs in the season that you are ordained for is, uh, is not supplied. And you need to work, pay attention to that. And then you need to ask yourself, it's hard, but it's, you need to ask yourself, Am I really equipped for, for this thing? Because the enemy always has somebody walking down the street to walk you out of Jesus Christ or to walk you out of uh, your purpose, your eternal purpose. Always. There's always somebody. There's always a voice. There's a told. Yeah, well, you know, a prophet comes. Let me tell you, don't think all prophets hear from God the way God wants. They may hear from God, but they process it for man. They may hear from God, but they will interpret it for humanity, and that is a different thing. I've had people prophesy things to me, and I kept saying, but that's not, no. Not only is it not what God had me do, that's not what God told me, um, reinforced me over the years, but it broke continuity with God's communications with me. There are prophecies that break continuity with what you know God summoned you to do. They just divert you. They take you off task. And you have to know when a prophecy is of God or when it's of a spirit. You know, when you think about the fact that the, the, the young prophet that, that prophesied against Jeroboam, God told him, don't stop, don't eat, don't, don't rest, just prophesy, don't even go, you know, don't drink water there, just say what you have to say and leave the borders of the town because the power, the, the instruments of judgment and the instruments of, 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 of punishment were already on the ground. So God had taken his favor from that land. See, some of you moved to places where God took his favor because it once held favor. And you moved from there. And you and you sitting there and say, well, I don't want to do anything else. But you need to find out where God's favor is. And the favor is not just on the opportunities for, jo uh, for jobs and increase, but it's also on the folks that God is producing. And so he went and he the, the, the prophetic company of the chief prophet found him sitting under a tree, reminiscing, reflecting, relishing that he had just given a word to the king, and it was a very harsh word, and he got away with his life. So he's like, I, mm, I know this is God. I know I must be the man. So the prophetic comes, other prophets came. Obviously, they were there. 
and they came to talk to him about it. And then they went to their chief prophet and said, hey, newcomer in town, up and coming. Chief prophet said, invite him to dinner. Well, they could. He was still under the tree. Because they shouldn't have been able to find him to deliver that invitation if he was going to obey. And God always gives you these very seemingly insignificant obedience classes or lessons. So he had an opportunity to obey God. He chose not to. So they go. He goes to have dinner with the chief. I mean, who, is, who wouldn't? You think about all of the big names that you have chased over the years. Would you have made a different decision if they invited you to their house? You would have only made a different decision if, in fact, you knew God as he is. They feed him. He's happy sitting down with the man's prophets. They feed him. And afterwards, the, 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 the lion prophet said, he first said, I can't go. I can't because God told me not to. And the prophet said to him, the chief prophet said, yeah, I know, but an angel told me. So we're downgrading this prophecy from the sovereign to the angel. And by now, what kept his clarity, what made things vivid for him was gone because he didn't obey. He broke the terms and conditions of the assignment. And once he did so, he opened himself up to lying, profit, and deception. He, he, he was primed to believe a lie because he believed the lie that told him to sit under the tree. Just sitting out in the field. Just, oh, man, brother, I just told up. I mean, I believe it was Omri. What's one of the two? I don't want to get it wrong, but that's all right because you all always send me stuff, and I love that about it. But I want you to hear me. So the lying prophet says, an angel stood by me and gave me a contrary word. A lot of people, you think that, that because God spoke to you once, angels don't ever speak to you again and devils shut up. Devils don't go silent because you hear from God. They get louder. They get more uh, cunning, more insistent, and more invasive. And if you don't have that, that character, that will, that steely will, because prophets, uh, all ministries, but prophets and apostles especially, you must have that steely will of God. Because you have to have the same will he has to hear all of this garbage and know that it's a mess and still know his truth. So as we go on, he eats, he sits down because he follows this prophet that said an angel countermanded the sovereign. Are you all following me with this? So as we go on, we go on and we say, oh, all right. And then he turns out and he breaks out against them. And then he prophesies the truth. And he prophesies from God to let you know that that prophet had the word of the Almighty in his mouth and the word of an angel and the word of a devil in his mouth. And he played all three cards to take this young man out. Many of you have got to have the discernment to know what's what God never changes his mind, ever. When he sends you an assignment, he said, if I start something, i got to finish it. And when I work a work, no one can reverse it. You have to know your God well enough to know the tactics that will be used to divert you from him. Did you find it out? So I'm saying this to you because I want you to hear differently 
that you all, many of you all are going to get an offer from Jesus Christ. Yes. It was, okay. I thought it was because it's what is it, first thing, 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm telling you that you are going to get an offer. And trust me, the offer will not come without competition. It will happen. Every time God tells you to do something that's him, you hear it, it sounds great in your prayer closets and nobody's around, and then you go out to try to tell people how it is, and, and uh, well, you don't have to do it. And the Eve tactic keeps working, so why change it? You should not surely die. It never changes. It doesn't have to change because we're always working with duality. And so as you go, some of your offers are limited-time offers. Some of them, you only have six months to make up your mind. Now, why is it important to tell you that? Because, again, you need wisdom. You need somebody to share the wisdom of the Almighty on this. Why is it important for you to know that? Because some of those offers are to get you out of the, out of the line of fire, out of the way of disaster, out of catastrophe. Some of you all, you're so committed to, have, to loving your liberty, that you don't understand that when God tells you to do something, he's operating not on your liberty, but on his legality. And so you'll say, well, I'm sorry. I thought this is what God told me to do. And the next thing you're wondering why there's a storm coming and taking out your land, because God tried to get you out of there because he was trying to open the ark to get you in. But no, you were having fun, having party, can't do my family, because that's when you know God is not number one in your life. If he can't move you at his word, he's number two, three, four, nine, and ten. I don't care how much you want to say it, that's how he registers it. Because if God tells you to do something, you have to know that he's already set, set it up and staged you from where you're going. He's not going to tell you to do something, and he, hasn't got, he doesn't have anybody ready to receive you. He said to Abraham, listen, leave your father's country. Now, his father had been there long enough to build up a nice little community. He said, leave your father's company, leave all of these people, and go to a place I will show you. Now, Abraham may not have known what God was doing, but God knew. And God said, because I can't bless you in another deity's land. I can't bless you in a dangerous land. I can't bless you in a place where I judged a sense of judgment. So you have, you've got to be wiser than serpents. And, and most most of the church today is not. Satan, we, we keep forgetting that he said be wiser than serpents. What? We don't preach that. We preach harmless as dead. But being wiser than serpent means that in that garden, there was a serpent in a tree that took the entire creation with a strategy and a tactic. So I want you to think very differently about the offers that are coming. Don't assume that just because you think where you are is the perfect way and you think because you sowed so many seeds in that land or your family, your kids or whatever, because I want you to tell you every idol you use to, to disobey God is what will be attacked because God was trying to rescue you. There are a lot of offers that are meant to be rescued, and more specifically, pre-rescued. There are other offers that are meant to be opportunities. And you want God, if God's going to bless me, he's going to bless me right here. Will you wait on it? Because God is not bound to your territorial rules. And I've said over and over again, oftentimes geography is the key to your destiny. So you want to be blessed where you are because it's 
what you see. And you'll be there. And not, this doesn't mean that everybody's going to suffer or get sick or whatever, but it does mean that you're going to have meager returns because your harvest is where God says it is. And sometimes he wants you to enter into someone else's harvest. One sows another waters, and God gives the increase. And so God may well have someone else's harvest for you. You realize that even though Israel had accumulated a lot in the wilderness, and they had quite a bit that they brought out of Egypt, they were not set up. So God wanted to give them a city, and he didn't need them wasting time to break, break down trees and brick and all of that. He said, just go enter in. Some of you all have missed your enter-in harvest because you didn't move. And God reminded you for two or three years, because he usually starts two, several years before he actually needs you gone or he needs you out of the way. So he'll wait, but when he gets down to the end, and you'll know you're coming close to the end because he won't shut up about it, because he wants to make sure that you are refusing his offer. So he needs to make it documented that you are refusing his offer right on down to the person. Some of you all refuse God's offer because you didn't like the person. You didn't like the, the minister. You didn't like the whatever. But look at you today. How do I know I'm right? Because far too many people are saying, I don't know my destiny. And God is a righteous God. He said, what you ask me, I'm going to tell you. And so if you don't know your destiny, it's because you blew it off when he offered it to you. Prophet Ashley and my other prophets should be around here somewhere. I hope she has her blue highlights with her. Uh-huh. One of the uh, viewers said that the monitor reminds him of ABC. Says, "Say again." <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're back. <laughs> we're back. Yay! Well, did you have any? Oh, you have some highlights. I do. Just a little bit. Highlight worthy. Was it highlight worthy? Yes. Which part got you the most? Uh, well, are you wanting me to jump in right now? Yes, while she's doing what she does. Okay, I think uh, you started off talking about, uh, well, you were talking, we were talking about the events today, we were talking about the commissioning today. Trying to think. Yeah, I was busy today, wasn't I? Yeah. I was all over the place. Uh, you talked about how uh, one of the purposes of public commissioning is, is the witnessing aspect that people would witness. I think it's maybe important to touch on that because, um, you know, so many people even that come through to take our assessments, the, the, the idea is that, you know, no one can really authorize me outside of God. So I don't need anyone to publicly affirm me. Um, what would you speak to that? Because that is something that a lot of people who are operating, you know, on an island with their office <laughs> on their own, you know, but, and they, I think they mean well, you know, with what they're mm-hmm. saying, but maybe you could speak to that a, a little bit more because you're one of, really um, a trailblazer in this area with public commissioning and how important that is. Well, the first thing that I want to say is that if you've got your your word from God that you're called to do something or he's putting you in a particular ministry, if God's going to put you in an office, you're going to be tied to an institution or you're going to build one. Otherwise, why have an office? So then you'll be operating on your gifts. So that's the first thing you need to understand. The second thing that you want to understand is that God has a public. You want to, the public to take your prayer room and your prayer closet calling at face value. You want them to follow what you feel in your heart. 
when you think about it, when you say that's ridiculous, you know, that's like going to a, a, a company talking about, well, you know, I don't have a degree, and no, I didn't get any training in this. And, well, nobody really knows that I do. Actually, it's kind of what I've been doing as a hobby and secret. Mm-hmm. But you should hire me. Yeah. And trust me, yeah. with your public, with your clientele, with your customers or patients, mm-hmm. do you really? You don't expect that to walk anywhere else but in God. And nobody told you that but a rebellious pastor or a rebellious leader who themselves did not want to submit to any kind of training to, to safeguard the public right. and to guarantee quality service. And thirdly, I would like to say, um, exceptional results. See, you don't want to expect a result. You, you expect an opportunity. You expect a, a performance. You don't expect a result. You don't even care. It's not my fault it turned out wrong. Yes, it is. You went out there as if you should be trusted. You stand in front of people all the time as if you should be trusted. And so because naive people don't know that you should be vetted before they trust you, so they jump on board because they get caught up in your enthusiasm. So you go out there like you're doing some sort of an exhibition game and not executing something that should be a result. So when people tell me that, I'm like, how do I know? I wasn't in your prayer closet. How do I know? I wasn't in your house. I didn't see any. I don't care if you had something happening in your house. A great thing showed up. I don't care if Mike and gave all of that. that. Every time God does something, there is evidence. There is proof. There is a discernible proof. Paul said the word of God is not in word only, but in power yes. and dem- demonstration of the spirit. So God always demonstrates literally, physically, optically what he does imperceptibly or internally. Now, that's something you've not been taught. So most of you all, you follow people that couldn't prove that you should have followed them. And then you're mad because it didn't turn out well. But yet, if you're going to get your electricity fixed, you're going to, I need to know, you're going to wire my house, I'm going to need to know. Oh, I need some references. So we, we start with references. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we want those references to include training, yes. education, and government authority. We don't download an app to our phones. I'm like, how many people have downloaded this? Exactly. <laughs> and what are they saying? What are they saying about it? What are they saying? Okay, there are a million downloads, and overwhelmingly everything is usually a one or a two. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a problem. Four million downloads and four. four. Mm-hmm. We're like, well. We don't. Everything in the natural world expects to be tested, expects to be vetted, expects to earn trust. Even if they want to deceive you, they still want to earn your trust because their deception won't work without your trust. So you all are excited about, well, you know, he knew my name. Your birth certificate, Google knows your name. Give me a break already. That's not a big deal. Well, he knew where I live. So did Google. I go to type in something, and there is Google. Mm. It's a serious matter. Answer by space mm-hmm. and pull up a whole bunch of information. Everything. So, but you still want that. So, you like, and some of you all, you like, you follow people because they're young, because you wish your kids were doing it. Man, I wish my kids would be like so and so. And so, that's a lousy reason to follow some kids who doesn't know anything. You don't vet their work. You don't test their word. You don't test their behaviors. You don't look into their lives. You don't even expect them to even be good at what they do. They just need to be approved by you. 
But when you are serious about anything you do, you expect some very important things. You expect results. You expect witnesses to make yeah, sure yeah. that witnesses, somebody else has been through this and survived. You expect somebody who has a testimony. You expect somebody who has a long apprenticeship. You expect somebody that has a powerful track record in succeeding in doing what God wants. You expect that. But you don't expect it from your ministers. From your ministers, you expect that what they say God said is what God said. Wow. You expect that what they claim is what God, God did, what they claim is God is God. And it never crosses your mind that they might be talking to a number of gods. They may not even be talking to your God. But as far as you're concerned, if they use the G-O-D, that's all you need. Yes. The G-O-D. That's all you need. You have another? I do. That was very good. (laughs) I do. Oh, my God. Yes, okay. Yes, I actually wrote down the question this time while you were speaking of something. Okay. Uh, you were talking about, uh, which I loved, that, you know, you're bringing strength. We're bringing strength back to the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the major loss that God has suffered right now? What, where's our weakest link? Courage. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that God has told to say certain things, to do certain things, to go places, to give a word here or there, to even start a ministry that's going to reveal his truth. And they are afraid of the backlash. And that fear of backlash is, to me, the weak link. Courage is lacking in the body of Christ. You know, the one thing that uh, Donald Trump did for many Christians is that he brought a a, a reason for courage, a reason for us to go into our our attics and our basements and pull out some courage. Because, you know, we've packed it away. (laughs) We have packed it away. And so um, I would have to say to you that I think that that is the number one thing that people are suffering. Like, they, they want to obey God, but they don't want to suffer. They don't want to pay the price. They don't want to risk their family being angry. They don't even want to engage in a good argument. That's another thing training will do is it'll teach you how to argue. It'll teach you how to present yeah. your case. It'll teach you how to refute. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get you one more. more. That's more. good. Y'all get back courage, mm-hmm. the major thing that we're lacking. Okay. Uh, okay. So you talked about, oh, oh, I love this. I'll give a quote and then, and then a question. So you talked about if God had the apostles, if God had apostles on the planet today like the 12, we would be in a different place. Um, so that sparked this question. What will be the major push from God's apostles in the reset? What are they going to push to undo? redo, rebuild, destroy? The major push will be truth. The, the true apostles will go against paganism. They're going to go against witchcraft because that's what they did in the Bible. They're going to go against false religions. They're going to go against false gods because that's what it is because they know the problem is a God context that mm-hmm. Jesus Christ has been brought under attack. Mm-hmm. Everybody keeps saying that the church is under attack. No, Jesus Christ is under attack. And because the church is his body, it's reverberating in the congregations. But the real issue is that Jesus Christ, the founder of our, our Christian faith, uh, the son of God is under attack. That's, and it's, he's always been under attack. But it's the first time that his own body is rising up and mobilizing to attack him in the name of other gods. Mm. One thing that apostleship is about, and I will say it forever, amen, Apostleship is not about church and people. Apostleship is about gods and nations. And 
the apostles of God always had to face off with the gods of the nations, which is the purpose for Paul being made the apostle to the Gentiles, because he, God had already in the spirit realm legitimized his son's sovereignty and, and right to overturn the deities of the nations that were destroying them and killing them and perverting them and, and all of that. He finally was able to legitimize the life of Jesus Christ. That he was, that he was able to legitimize Jesus abolishing the death and, 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 immort, and, and mortality that was destroying creation. Apostleship is about gods and nations. That's number one. And apostles are representatives of the throne of Christ and his kingship in the realms of humanity. And so you've been talked about, told that it's about fathering. That is, there's nothing in Scripture that said apostleship is about fathering. That's why we're stuck. Yeah. There's not one piece of Scripture. To, and I love some of these things. Father, after we get past fathering, they got a great word. They, I've got, no, I've read their books, whatever. Yeah. But if you have a flawed foundation, if the foundation is flawed, then everything that comes from that foundation comes up to a fountainhead of error. It is apostleship was never about father. And I, I, I've asked them to show me where the scripture says apostles are about father. I have, a, I have about 20 more scriptures that say apostles about Jesus Christ. Apostles are about the man, Christ Jesus. Apostles are about the son of the living God. Apostles are about the cross and Calvary. Apostleship okay. is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Apostleship is about the incarnation of the sovereign of creation. I can give you more reasons that. But see, if you say it's about fathering, then it becomes very training, etc. It becomes very subjective, and it becomes very individualized. There's not, I mean, if you're going to do it. Apostle Paul said he was separated from his mother's womb to be an apostle according to the word of God. The scriptures define apostles. And fathering or parenting, if you will, you know, fathering thing, I think that's not only is that chauvinistic, I think it lends itself to homosexuality. Because there's still that man thing going on. So we're still isolating. So apostleship is not about fathering. Now, the result of a quality apostle is that you will be well-parented by that apostle. You will be well-nurtured. You will have that, that, that uh, parental relationship, parental dispensation between you. But that is not the reason to come under an apostle. That is certainly not going to help you. Because if apostleship is about fathering, why does it look like, if that's the case, the bishops are fathering, the pastors are fathering, and, and on we go. So what is this distinctive? People ask me, Gunner Price, what did you do differently? I look for differences and not sim similarities. So I look for what's, what we have commonized, and I look for where, where the variations were. And every time I did, God said, here's another one, and here's another one. So I know that you all said that some of you all are out there, you're so mad with God right now because you, 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 you took your parental loss and neglect and you gave it to an apostle who had no parental aptitude. We just assume everybody can parent. That's not true. Otherwise, why do we have division of youth for family services? Well, well, it's, it's, we assume to get overrun. Yeah. They need more people. Yeah. So you, you actually are angry because you took an errant definition of apostleship and you applied it to your psycho-emotional devastation. And that application caused you to submit your most vulnerable self to someone that you wish was your natural parent. Ooh. 
So your fractured soul went and, and dealt with somebody who really was not trying to parent you. Because parenting is an outgrowth of effective apostleship. It is not the, it is not the end gate. And we've been treating it, and then after that, the, the end gate becomes the, the, the centerpiece of your apostleship. So you're not trying to touch nations. You're not trying to help Jesus Christ. You're not trying to reach the gospel. You're literally trying to please a parent. And that's a different thing. So if you're, ple- if you're working hard to please your parent, you're probably going to displease your sovereign. It's, I think you should understand that. And that, that's the damage that's been done. Who in the world came up with that? I couldn't tell you. I probably should know, but I don't. But I know for a fact that it's not biblical. When I would say that in various circles, you know how much my baby, I became persona non grata. Yeah, back, front, head, arm, leg, feet. You know how the little dots, they just spray all the little dots over you? That was me. I was red dotted. I was red dotted for real. But but the truth is, an apostle must bring you into the truth of God's creation, the truth of the creator, because this is not about earth. This is all about eternity. This is all about God's realm. It's all about his system. It's all about the sovereign that Jesus was before he incarnated. And, it, and we never got sovereignty out of it, but yet apostleship is about sovereignty, the sovereign will of God, the sovereign plans of God, because God's world predates this one. Are you all okay with this? Because, you know, this is really the truth. This is a hard reset. I just gave you part of the hardest reset you're going to have. We're going to reset this to the kingship of Jesus Christ and the throne of the Almighty. That's a hard reset. So it's not about parenting, because God is your father. God is your parent. And subtly, we fell back into that which Christ warned us against. Uh, and it was so subtle. It was yeah. so smooth. It was like sliding on ice. Yeah. And we went back to, this is my father and whatever. In other words, we went back to literally religious patriarchs. And Jesus couldn't get us way in because if Jesus told you to do something and you talked to your father in the Lord or your mother in the Lord, you didn't do it. So they gave you a whole lot of ground to disobey your God. But how many times did we hear that? Moving around these uh, apostolic circles. <laughs> I don't make any decision until I talk to my two, two spiritual fathers and a mentor. And then we wonder why we got same-sex marriage. See, the spirit of things always have a, have a long way to go. The spirit of things has a long way to go. So I'm going to tell you something. When, when, when they told me that, you know what I said? Then you don't know your God, and you and God are estranged because God said, no man. He said, my glory I will give to no one else. I will not give it to another. He said that. He said that I'm going to be first, and that's how it's going to go. So even when my people say to me, you know what, Dr. Price, I'm telling you, I just feel like this is what God told me. I question it. How did he tell you? You know, I want to get some information. I want to know the circumstances under which this conversation came about. Where were you? What were you going through? Et cetera. But if they continue to think that God told them, you know what, I don't refute it because I'd rather they listen to God and I'd rather they get it wrong and get corrected 
than to stop listening to God and not cease having an ear for the Lord. Mm. So I don't fight with people like that. I don't have to. Because one thing I know about God is God's got to prove God. He, may, he does not have to prove Paul of Christ, per se, but he has to prove God because he's the God of truth. And he cannot lie. So and he, God can't commit error. So when they tell me that, mm-mm. But when I tell you that something is of God, I tell my folks, this is of God. And I speak to them as one who serves God and as one who represents the Lord, not as one that's trying to usurp him. It's very important that you realize that. So we have all of these folks, and then you turn around, and you, you, you know, this is my father in the Lord. That's nice. You need a father in the Lord. You need a mother in the Lord. But they don't need to be the sovereign. And you've given them sovereign place in your life, and they don't have it, and they shouldn't ask for it. A true apostle will never want to take God's sovereign place in your life. Well, you raised us up. And when we got to a certain age, prophetically, would say, how do you know that's God? Mm-hmm. Now, now, you weren't saying one way or another, actually. If it was or wasn't, you wanted to know that we knew mm-hmm. we were hearing from God. Exactly. And so, well, I need, and no, I need you to be able to tell me. You can stand there and tell everybody else. Mm-hmm. How can you tell me for yourself? Mm-hmm. How did this word come to you? How do you? And you would grill us sometimes. And then you have to have a dog about it. Yeah, oh yeah, there's no for you like I'm just not hungry. But you taught us to be objective, to be circumspect, to engage mm-hmm. our intelligence, mm-hmm. our, our godly intelligence, in our own prophetics and not to rely on you because for so many years people thought. Oh, you have Dr. Price, and so, mm-hmm. you know, and hey, that's easy to think. Mm-hmm. You know, she says, hey, she'll just, let me just go ask. And then you would say, well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Well, what are your preliminary thoughts? Well, what have you received from the Lord? Well, what have your transmissions been? And the less we could articulate and clearly define mm-hmm. that, you weren't helping us. No. Go figure it out. Not at all. I think that that, when you have those environments, where the people do not know, you know, how to hear God for themselves and, and, and their leader, the apostle or the prophet that's over them or whatever leaders over them it feeds into that. That's a spiritually weak people. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, it's actually harder <laughs> to have an apostle that makes you hear from God yourself <laughs> because oh, then, yeah. then you have to justify, <laughs> you know, when you're being asked questions, well, how, what happened to you and when, oh. You know, you either, he either has to have really spoke to you, you have to mm-hmm. say it, or you just outright have to lie. You know, they, you're put in such a situation, yeah. you know, when, when your leader is actually prompting you to say, well, well tell me the circumstances in which mm-hmm. you're not. You know, I think that that is a sign also of, you know, leaders who have loved having spiritually weak people, mm-hmm. where they actually can't hear, hear from God themselves mm-hmm. and don't know how. So they become the voice of truth, you know, yeah. in their lives. But again, what the fruit of it is, you have people who cannot hear from God themselves. Well, it's interesting. A, a, a parallel to that would be the parent who never lets their children do anything. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I do everything for my kid. The kid is 15 years old. You still can't turn on the washing machine. I'm going to need you to grow up because I'm going to call you handicapped. You can't do a little, you can't sweep the floor. You can't mow a lawn. You can't do anything. You can't make decisions for yourself. I mean, think about it. Those parents, they don't do it for the kids' sake. They like, and I just like to do everything for them. Yeah, because you're afraid of them, of them growing you out of a job. Yes. 
so you you feel so that you feel needed, you'll keep them impeded. And so, so that when they go off to college and they go off to school, they can't do anything. When they go into their own life, come on, I take my laundry home to my mom. No, you're not. You're going to find a laundry mat around the corner, and you're going to get a job and pay for your laundry. And you know why? Because that's what adult people do. And then, I, well, I'm sorry, I can't do anything without my mm-mm. I'll tell any parent, the only reason you handicap a child is because you yourself are, I'm going to say, purpose and destiny handicapped. You don't see a life yourself or for what you have gained as a parent being used anywhere else but suffocating your children. That's what you do. Well, there are leaders, church leaders the same way. Their ministry does not have validation unless they have a bunch of people clamoring around them and leaning on them and whatnot. As a rule, many apostles don't are not that, but are you kidding? I need to know that my people can keep this going, but I'm here gone because I'm going to tell you something about doing that. Your when the wolves come in, your sheep can't do anything about it. When your wolves come in, to, they can't defend the flock. They can't defend themselves. They can't discern what's God, what isn't. They can't discern a good spirit or a bad spirit. And so your sheep, because you have made them so docile, they'll just follow anybody. See, sheep should be strong. They're strong enough to know the shepherd, and they're strong enough to walk away from any seduction, according to, you know, the natural example. So... I personally need to know that you're growing in God, not growing in me. Now, people grow in me, but you, my whole goal is to turn you over to God because the Bible says that at the end of Jesus' work, he turns us over to the Father. I'm supposed to turn you over to God. I'm, right now, I'm to groom you for God. I'm grooming you for God. I'm you know, uh, equipping you to be useful to him. But in the end, I'm supposed to make it so you and God can deal one-on-one without a mediator. Because, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. we, said, well, well, we don't have a mediator. The Holy Ghost is our mediator. There's, a whole, there's so much God can't say that he can't even talk to you. That's why y'all haven't heard from him. Because you haven't been groomed to know him, groomed to respond to him, groomed to understand, etc. And that's what you do with leaders. When people are going to take you to royalty, they groom you. Okay. They groom you so that you are you, so that the vision is useful, you are not, uh, you know, disrespectful or irreverent, and that you don't court their retaliation or run upon their defenses. They do that. But when it comes to Jesus, because we've been made the pastor your ruler, you don't get that. But God, Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except the Father who sent me. Draw him. And I must bring people to the Father, which means Jesus has a duty to bring to God what is ready for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Not just those visits. The, the whole purpose is that you become stationed in God's realm, whether it's a minister, whether it's a citizen, whatever it is. And so my job is to see to it that you understand God enough to not only hunger for him and to pursue him, but you understand him enough to, to recognize his imposters, mm-hmm. resist his adversaries, and, uh, and conform to his way of thinking so that as he's communing with you, you understand him, his way, not yours. I used to go to God and tell God what different pastors said. He said, don't you ever come to me with that again. I was like, what? But God, then you, I, no, don't you come to me with that again. He said, because if they're speaking for me, you don't need to mention it. And if they are speaking for me, it's a useless statement. I was going to say you're married right. with your friend. Oh, really? He told me, don't you ever do that again. And I, I learned. Difficult as it was, 
I learned to stop doing that. So I don't go to God about what so-and-so said. I let God bring it up. If he has a problem with it, I'll... <laughs> so if you didn't mention it, Lord, I'm not mentioning it. You know, but my job is to prepare you for Jesus, who must prepare you for God, the Father, and you, yeah. so that you can begin to love him as a child with the love that he put in you and not go and try to change him. Many people are angry with God because they have sermons and messages that sought to change God to their weakness and their frailty. Well, God can't be frail. He just is just not God. And you really don't want him to be because what if you wanted those frail cells that he got? Might don't go frail in my situation. <laughs> I need you to be the almighty on this. Almighty. <laughs> you want to say stuff? Sure. I love you have stuff. Yeah, you can find some more because I know you got more. <laughs> Um, when you were talking about, let's see here, destiny is never going to be the prettiest door. Mm-hmm. It's the yeah, least mm-hmm. attractive. I thought that, ooh, you could have camped out there for yeah. this minute. <laughs> <laughs> you could have hung out. Yes, yes. Door one, door two, door three. Yes. How you said how we are programmed for glitter and immediate reward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, where did I write that? That's fine. Uh, but just thinking about destiny not being the most obvious, most I'll say the least the most attractive. Mm-hmm. Because in the end, sometimes your destiny is the most obvious choice, mm-hmm. but it's just not appealing. appealing. <laughs> it isn't the most appealing. I mean, we could take Prophet Tamira, for example. When we were all at ORU. She was always doing people's hair mm-hmm. for no money, no whatever. It was just a thing she did. But she went to college to get a real degree in theology. And in the end, well, before the end, shifted into doing what you said, but you know your economy is in your hands, though. Yes, You're sitting here, and we, and we would start to say in school, well, shouldn't we be paying you? I mean, hours upon hours. You talk about corals, weaves, hair, all of it. It mm-hmm. didn't even matter. You should really go to school for this. Oh, no, you know, no, no, no. And you have to say no. Sweetheart, you know, you did, sweetheart, <laughs> your economy is in your, in your hands. And now, I mean, we see where she is and where she even will go from there. Mm-hmm. But um, so it wasn't, and, and it was just like, well, I mean, hair is just, it was just easy. Yeah, and right. it's kind of what you do at the house and then you do in the dorm and then you do whatever. I mean, it's not a career. It's not that sort of thing. It's just a thing I do. Mm-hmm. And even a lot of times with our destiny, it's just like a thing we do. Yeah but we would not consider investing into turning that into purpose. Meanwhile, spending all this money on a job, on a career, on an education that is very unfulfilling, and you're still spending all your free time over here yep. doing this hobby. And, and, and you're frankly incompa- incompatible with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing it because it makes money. When, you're, when you hit destiny, money comes right away. Oh. I'm going to tell you right now. People can say, I, I did this or that. No, nope. destiny will give you money before you get training. Destiny will bring money as you're training, and then it will prosper you because your destiny is, what it, your, is your inbuilt economy, your inbuilt economy. When your, your destiny literally is working from the time you're taught, if you listen to what your mama always said and you fuss back yeah. and your daddy said, the auntie and all the people said, yeah, but I don't know. Because you think, you think so little of you 
that you also devalue what makes you you and what causes people to be drawn to you. See, it is your own low self-esteem that's locking out your destiny. Because in your mind, well, if it comes this easy, it can't be definite. Don't you right. understand that that's the whole purpose? Is that you would do, is that it would work as instinctually yeah. as everything else? You know, seeing comes easy. Come on, and, I mean, thinking, breathing comes easy. You don't say, "Wow, well, I mean, come on, with my breath is useless." I mean, you need to stop that. Because, oh, oh, you don't say that. But I teach my people when I teach your destiny is not something foreign to you. It is just undefined. Wow. It is not foreign, and it's undefined. And so you'll look at it and you'll say, well, how do I know what that is? And the only difference, the only thing you have to do once you accept your destiny is get on the track for its destination. Because destiny means you're going somewhere to be prosperous, to be successful, to be effective, to be useful. And so it is true that in destiny, because people so dislike what comes easy, what comes natural, or either they overestimate what comes easy and natural because it's immediate immediate payoff, and yet destiny is what they do to sustain them. Because your destiny is not just going to be something expressive. It's going to be something useful. It's going to be utilitarian. It's going to be sustaining you. It's going to get you out of trouble. It's just going to, that's the part. And so, and it's going to draw money to you. Now, you may sing in, you know, sing in choirs, and you can sing in, uh, what do you call it, street things and all of that, little uh, talent shows. But in the end, if that's not your destiny, it will never pay off. It may be an, so you need to know the difference between a, an expression and a destiny. Because your destiny will always pay off. I don't know how it does it, but it does. Well, because God has built you with spiritual forces around you to see to his word and to see to his purpose. So your destiny is always going to work without you. It's going to work subconsciously, unconsciously. It's going to be what you do in school for the teacher. It's going to be what you do for your friends. It's going to be whatever. And people, you'll know it because people will tell it, and you won't even listen to them. But they'll tell you. They'll keep saying it over and over again. Yeah, but you always did. I came to you because you always did that thing. I mean, when we were in school, you always did that so-and-so. I came to you because you always had so-and-so answers. Well, you know what? You probably haven't seen it, but we always said it. We always knew you were going to do that, that kind of thing. <laughs> now, the other thing is that you have to bump into the structure for your destiny's manifestation. Because a lot of time, until you bump into the structure, whether it's uh, business, enterprise, what up, family? It doesn't matter. But, but your destiny has a structure in which it's kind of like um, caulking. You know, there's this structure that your destiny, like caulk, once you push it and squeeze it in, it fills it out. Right. So you have to have a structure. And that's why you need mentors. That's why you need coaches and advisors. Uh, they, they, if you are with the right one, they're going to see the you that you have not liked. And the you that you despise, you may, and most of you all won't do your destiny because you made three mistakes and, oh, God, that must have been wrong. No, quality development needs mistakes because you won't know what works well if you don't understand what doesn't work at all. So you have to have that, those kinds of things. I absolutely love teaching people about destiny. I teach my team all the time. Yeah, but you're doing that. 
Oh yeah, but I've done that since I was a kid. Right. Where did you where did you think destiny was gonna come from? That God can bring you a whole new suite of attributes and and assets and abilities and well, talents. We have a, a very fantastical outlook mm-hmm. on how destiny should happen. Mm-hmm. It's um, something we've seen in a movie. We were little kids. We saw whatever. Once upon mm-hmm. a time, they lived happily ever after. You got tapped in the street just for being it. And so we're waiting for. Those moments yeah. to happen that are completely scripted. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They, and they're scripted because there's someone else's testimony. Yeah. It may have happened to others like that. But even so, you still did it by instinct. You did it when you were bored. You did it when you were in trouble. You did it when, you were, when no one was looking. You did it while you were, when you were in pain. It, it, because it's, there is, you don't get a new suite of, of resources for purpose and destiny. When you get saved, you get the, the ones you have coming up. And they, they transfer from the dominion of humanity into the realm of God. Now, how do I know this? Psalm 68, 18 says that you've given gifts unto men, even to the rebellious, that you may draw, draw there. Where do we see Psalm um, 68, 18 showing up again? Ephesians 4. So you have given, you ascended on high, let kept have the captain captivity captain who gave gifts to men. What is that? That's the scripture saying God did not change who you are or what he gave you. He perfected and purged it by the blood of the lamb and then empowered it with his virtues and his grace. Which is why you need Christian education because you don't know that. So you're going from meeting to meeting and place to place trying to find purpose because and everybody's giving you all of these kinds of things and really purpose is the overarching position you are to take in life. So that explains why. Yeah, write that down first, folks. That explains why, too, those, you go to those gurus and those people, mm-hmm. whatever, and even what they do only makes certain people famous. Mm-hmm. The ones who are actually supposed to be out there yeah. are the ones that all of that stuff works for exactly. and complements. I have a question. When you talked about diversion, distraction, and destiny, the doors, mm-hmm. how do you know when an opportunity is a diversion or a distraction for your destiny? Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you can know. Well, first of all, every heart knows themselves. No, Scripture says every heart knows its own bitterness, but every heart knows its sound. For in your heart are the issues of life. Right. So we have very peculiar instincts, and and, and sometimes we 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 trade instincts for impulse. Oh, that's interesting. So because we have this aspiration, and we you know we want to we want to do this, we want to get out of an issue fast, or we want to get a great thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we have it, but there is always that something, and, and whether it's whether people know it's Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit or not, they'll always say, yeah, but something just didn't land right. That just, it, it, it seemed good. I mean, it was good. I was almost ready, but I just, I just couldn't. That's a distraction. So because you knew it was going to take you off course from something else. And then yeah. diversion is to turn you away from what, what, what the, the path you were on. So diversion comes, and, the, and the diversions usually come when you're just about to have a breakthrough. Just when you're about to have a breakthrough, and, or you're about to meet the person, etc. and the diversion will come. And sometimes the diversion will come through a relationship, and this person will disagree with what you've been doing, and you will divert yourself to what they approve. 
relationships are a major, major instrument of distraction and diversion. People with purpose do not buy into them. When you're solid on your purpose, you will say, you know what, I can't get involved with you right now because see, you don't get me a point and I'm almost there. <laughs> And you will say that that's true. You, don't think you right said, no, 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 no. Because you, if you are settled in purpose, you know your destiny. You don't. Most people who chase relationships, chase marriage, have no purpose except that physical gratification. And unless God steps in and connects them with a the person that is good for that purpose, they're going to miss it. Because it takes a lot of distraction to keep your body sexy and mess ready to go. It takes a lot of distraction to learn the right lines, to, to get your little date lines together. It takes date a lot. Yeah, date lines. They, not, it takes a lot. That's a, but if that's the case, then you're not given that, that brain power and that concentration or focus to anything but emotional experiences, encounters, or conquest, whichever it is. And your purpose may be emotional conquest, you know, relational conquest. That might be your thing. But when a person is on path, nothing that the masses will ordinarily respond to will appeal to them. They can't take her anything. You're not going to hold them into anything. They're not going to follow the crowd. They're not going to go with the, 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 the way of the map. They're not doing it because they see themselves as being outside of that. And they see their success as being either a remedy, a solution, or benefit to the master. So they see themselves very different. Does that help you at all? Yes, it does. You have another question? Sure. You have a minute. All right. Okay, well, then you moved on. Talking about the offers from the Lord. You like yes. it. Okay. <laughs> and so. Is it an art, a privilege, a preservation, an insulation, or the next level opportunity for you? And um, even tying in the young prophet, did you speak on this in yes, spiritual intervention? I did. Class? Okay. Yes, Monday night. I'm so sorry if you weren't on that class. Yeah, you missed it. She broke this thing all the way down. But how, when you said today that God already took his favor from that land. Yes. Isn't that powerful? Yes, it is, because we really do, in trying to the list you gave earlier, bring all of God's communications and commands mm -hmm. down to us. Mm -hmm. Well, he loves me, he doesn't love me, he wants me to be happy, he's punishing me, he's doing all these things, and not thinking, but it's the land that's already done. Yeah. And so he needs you to not be there because of what he's already said for that location. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. When we listen to people and we listen to all of their self-absorbed, self-centered, me, myself, and I, God on, a, God on the string, God's my kite. I fly him any way I want. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we just do him so badly. We really go do. fly the Lord. Yes, we go. Come on, Lord. Let's go. I'm going to give you some air. Let's see where you take me. And so, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the kite. And so, what we don't recognize is that God is sovereign over creation. He's so masterful at being faithful to us that we think that we are the only drop in his bucket. Well, yeah, we do. And we treat him like he's the only drop in the bucket. And so as we go, when we start dealing with the Lord and we start moving forward in the things that he wants, we just assume it's all about us. Hallelujah. We just assume 
that is because all we our minds are so finite, we can't think the infinite things that are on his mind. Most things, God told me some of the phrases that he absolutely detests. I don't care how he's doing it. I just know he's doing it. I don't want to know how he's making it happen. I just mean he said I detest those phrases because they're they're literally disinterest in the truth and a commitment to being in the dark on everything Christ. Well, wow. He said, I hate it. I hate that you're not curious. He said, you're curious about a hundred things in the day and you're not curious about how I do what I do and how I became the I am and uh, the supreme God or whatever. And so he hates those phrases. And, and, and Because it's like your friend saying, you got two friends and one friend is attacking you and the third one is saying, well, I don't care what happened. All I know is y'all need to stop. You need to know what happens because that's not a good mediatory point. And so we do that to God. He absolutely detested. Wow. So when, when we think about um, the things, that, you know, understanding how he's moving and how he's doing things, it bothers God that you don't care about his realm. You don't care about his way because that means you don't care about maintaining, observing, cooperating, collaborating, submitting, obeying. I can go on. But in the end, those are the issues that he's, that he's dealing with. I want you to care about how I'm getting done what I've done, because therefore you become a better collaborator with me and a better cooperator. People are talking about they're collaborating with God, and they're telling him what he can't do all the time. How are you going to collaborate with somebody and oppose them at the same time? But we do that to him. And so many times I say God has to tell me, you know what? I don't want you to move over there because I've marked that for judgment. Well, wouldn't you like to know that he marked something for judgment just because it looks great? Because you don't know what's going on over there. You don't know who was killed in those houses. You don't know if babies are being mutilated. You don't know if wives and, or spouses are being beaten. You don't know if they're making drugs. You don't know anything. All you know is that it's party and I want to be there. But he, God can't preserve us the way he wants to. He can't protect us. He can't prevent us. Or, or even uh, insulate us because we're too busy driven by our idiosyncrasies and our idiosyncratic wants. Mm. I want this. That's all I know. God, you said you give me the desires of your heart. So what does God say? He didn't say anything. He said, okay, move in. Because wow. I said I'm going to give you the desires of your heart, but I just want you to understand that your heart may have some desires, but your heart does not know the consequences. So he's going to put you over there where, and then three months later, four months later, you got some sort of criminal element moving in. He's trying to spare you, but you didn't want to hear that. He's trying to spare you, put you in a place where there will be peace because he already knows. He does it. Why? Because God is administrating the entire creation. He's not just administrating your needs. He is not just providential. He has to handle his responsibilities to all that he's made. And so he would love to say, yeah, I know you want to go to that school, but you know what? Somebody is coming there that has a spirit of so-and-so that will literally coagulate with your generation spirit or your family tree, and I would really rather you stay out of the line of fire because you don't have the strength to fight that. He can't say that. You have to, I don't care what you say. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to confess it till he does it. I'm going to decree it till he does it. I'm going to keep on saying it, and you become a little, you know, you chant your way into God's calamity. Because we taught you that. <laughs> And, and everybody, you know, the Bible said in wow. the multitude of counsel, there's much safety. You, wow. get, everybody needs counsel. Wow. Your way into God's, God's calamity. calamity. Somebody write that down. <laughs> My God. Because you, you're so busy. It's got to be your way or no way. And, you, and because we've taught you between word of faith and authority of believer and just keep repetition saying, you know, God, even when we were doing that, I started doing it. He said, but did I not say I don't like repetition? 
He said, now, reinforcement is one thing. Repetition is something else. And we have, you know, we don't have time to discuss the difference between the two. But you need to recognize that God has a duty to creation. You are not the only one in his eye scope, in his lens, on his clipboard, on his desk. You are not it. It's not just you and me. He's got other nations. He's, and now with the Internet, his work has, has literally moved from complex to multiplex. Because he's now got to deal with Asian issues in America, American issues in Japan. He's got to deal with French issues in Africa because now he's dealing with a whole different network of sin and destructions and seductions. It's, it, it, and so I, I take wow. my, I applaud the Holy Ghost all the time. I say, you know, God, y'all be bad. That's all I'm going to say. Because I don't know how you do it. So when we talk about those Things. God is. There are areas that God marked for seduct for seduction. He marked for destruction. He marked for correction. You need to understand. And these are geographical because why are they geographical? Because people are there. Geo doesn't just mean ground. People are there, and so people are doing all manner of things. And, and unless He's sending you in as an answer or a rescuer. We, we learn here in Tulsa, every time we move to a particular air, out of a particular area, which is one we're in, we die. Because that's not where, he, where, where our prosperity is. And where's the prosperity? Can we talk about that? I've got about five minutes. Yeah, that's good. Where's the prosperity? What, what constitutes prosperity? The first thing that constitutes prosperity is the, the prince over that area, the region. You know, there are angels for providence. There are angels for punishment. There are, and I'm using angels just because it's something we can relate to because it's actually more than that. But there are angels for, you know, uh, for benefits. There are angels for tearing down, building up. Because everything that happens in planet, in this planet, has to have a spiritual origin and impetus. So there are angels in all of these areas. There, and so those angels are also attached to those people that, that are moving there, and they have the people themselves are guardian folks. They're protective folks. They're going to keep things neat, as opposed to being drawn to or forced to a region where the people have no power and the people have no whatever. And so until God is ready to change it, send a change agent in, he's going to tell you, but your, your prosperity isn't there. Your, your job thing isn't there. Your kids won't be safe there. I remember telling a couple who wanted to move into a particular area of town, and they were, I was saying, but I'm telling you, if you move there, your kids are going to all be, are all going to be drawn into destruction because that's the spirit in that area, and it's an area for judgment. And so, of course, you know, because, you, you know, as a prophet, you learn early, you can't bless the church, you can't preserve the church, you can't protect them, you can't prevent them. You get a, a small handful of people who will, once they've proven you and vetted you and tried you, who will say, yeah, okay, with well, Dr. Price, I'm going to take care of your work. I have, you know, a very few people who do that, and I'll say, but I'm telling you, this is not going to work. And the reason it's not going to work is because of the station that I have with God, but also his his determination to tell me what he's doing in different areas. 
Yeah. So some of you all, he'll say the same thing with schools. Yeah, you can go to that school, you'll get a degree, but you're going to come out with a lot more than a degree, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be good. Or you should go to this school because this school has several prosperous people I'm going to connect you with. Yeah. But see, we don't want to be, we, we like to preach about being led by the Spirit. Oh, we don't want to follow his leading. Woo! We just want to preach about it. We want to do a thousand seminars. Half yeah. of us, we got a thousand seminars on being led by the Spirit and will not follow his leading because you will let your spirit pretend to be the Holy Spirit. And you'll say, well, you know, my spirit is this or that. I don't. When God tells me, he'll say, I'm telling you, that's not good. And sometimes he won't even tell you that it's doomed. Sometimes he said, that's not going to bless you. Or he said to me, one time he told me to do something. He said, you can do that, but it's going to take me 25 more years to stage it. No. See, because sometimes it's not just about failure. It's also about opportunity. It's about prosperity. It's about providence. It's about who Jesus said when he was getting, I, I can almost wrap this up, but Jesus said when he was getting ready to do the last summer, he said, I told this one over here to do this. I got this guy. He set up the, the upper room for me. I already set that up. I already told this one I'm going to need his donkey. I told somebody else I'm going to need, you know, something else. He already set it up. So when he sends you to a place, your prayer is, Lord, when? Lord, how? Lord, who? Mm. Now, if you get those three answers, when you get there, there's going to be a job because, and you're going to get it kind of weird. You're going to, because God, when he sets things up out of the norm, they usually come very uh, anomalously. In other words, they don't come the way the normal course of life. So I'm saying this to you as I get ready to wrap up today. You have got to think bigger than your wants. Your desires cannot be your dictator. Because there are things that you desire, you may desire them because you always desired them as a kid and you never expired that desire. There are things that you may desire because you felt like this was a, it reminds you of so and so, so you've got this nostalgic desire. Mm-hmm. You've got these rem- reminiscent desires, you know? Wow. And you've got all of these, so you need to even in, investigate your own desires. Hey, I'm running out of time. Don't you want to show to me right now? I think that I've given you a powerful, powerful show for two hours. So if you want to sow to me, probably the is going to tell you how to do that. I am, guys. It's time. Uh, we're going to go ahead and enter into a time of giving. So the text to give is 918-608-1378, 918-608-1378. If you're a Cash App user, you can give a seed today via Cash App. And Dr. Price's tag on Cash App is Dr. Paula Price. So you can look her up that way. You know if you're a Cash App user, you're just going to put a dollar sign and then the tag. And then if you're a PayPal user, then you can sow a seed right now via PayPal. It's paypal.me, paypal.me slash Dr. Paul Price. And you can show your gift that way as well. And those of you who have been sowing, I bless your seed, I bless your harvest, I bless your breakthrough. I call and summon the harvest on your seed soul. I summon not just a harvest of increase of money, but a harvest of opportunity, a harvest of of contact, a harvest of, of facilitation, jobs, Settled cases. Some, somebody out there is waiting for a case to settle. Settled cases. Somebody else, you're dealing with the illness of your child. I call in a harvest of healing in Jesus' name. And I call it in now. And do me a favor, those of you who are regular sowers, let people know. Encourage them to sow seed to me so that we can keep going and do this television thing. Forgot yeah. to tell you that next week, where are we going to be next week? 
We're going to be on the Word Network. We'll be on the Word Net- Network next week. Watch my Facebook because we'll be on the Word Network and several two other shows two different Network. shows. And, and then, then show in and out. In and out. So we have a couple of shows that watch my Facebook so you can catch me on the Word Network next Ooh. week. Love you guys. Mwah. Mwah. God bless you. <laughs> We're done. See you in Iowa. <laughs> well, I might as well see you.